Bible with you, if you have a Bible with you, I'd like you to turn to the book of 2 Kings chapter 2. That's a couple of different twos. 2 Kings 2. 2 Kings 2. Go there. We're going to talk about two people. This, this true account, this chapter, contains the true account of God doing remarkable things in a person's life as they follow him. Let me say that again. This book contains the true account in in this chapter, in fact, most chapters of the the Bible, but this one I think particularly, this, this chapter contains the true account of a man, a person who was faithfully used of God because he God did remarkable things in his life because he faithfully followed him. The two main characters here in 2 Kings 2 were Elijah, who was a man of God, E-L-I-J-A-H, Elijah, who was a man of God that called people back to the worship of Jehovah God. The, the, the people of Israel had wandered away from God. They were worshiping all these pagan things and pagan false gods. Every seems like every generation there's a tendency to move away from God. And, and he was used of God to pull people, direct people back to the worship of the one true God. He had Elijah had with God's power been been wonderfully used to speak against the spiritual destruction of his day. Do, do you know that God raises up people in every generation to speak to their generation? Every generation. I, I, I have a close friend of mine. He's near the end of his journey. He's, uh, he's well up in years, and he, has, he probably only has just a few years ahead of him. And, and I remember how he was wonderfully used of God. Now, not so much. I mean, not, not at least on a, on a broad scale. But God used that person in his generation. He's using people in this generation, and he's getting ready, perhaps, some of these children that are going to be reached this week or last week in mega sports camp. Maybe God is going to use one of them, or maybe that child isn't even born yet, but God is going to use them to speak to the next generation prior to Jesus' return. He uses people. So he's, he's used this man named Elijah to speak to his generation. The other person, the other person who factors large in this chapter is the man named Elisha. Sounds similar, but it's spelled differently. E-L-I-S-H-A. Elisha. He's the younger man. And uh, uh, who, at this point, at this point in, in the books, of, he's mentioned briefly, we looked at his life or the beginning of his calling a couple of weeks ago. Uh, uh, but he's going to factor really big in 2 Kings. But at this point, he is virtually unknown beyond perhaps Elijah and a few others. Elisha is largely unknown at this point. About 10 years before this chapter, again, we looked at this a few weeks ago, God had told Elijah, the older man, God had told Elijah that Elisha would be his successor. God had told him, get ready and get him ready. We are going to, God said, I'm going to move you off and I'm going to move someone else on. Made that very, very clear. And here, in this chapter, it's about to happen. Somehow, we don't know exactly how, 
uh, it had been about 10 years since that initial calling of Elisha when God said, get Elisha ready to Elijah. It had been about 10 years, but somehow now in this chapter, Elijah knows that his departure is imminent. Second Kings chapter 2 verse 1 says this, now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Now stop there for a moment. Let me set up the, the scenario here. What's, what's happening is they're beginning, Elijah and Elisha are beginning what could be described as Elijah's farewell tour. Starting in this place called Gilgal, Elijah was going to go to different places saying goodbye to his students, the, the, the people, others that he had been training up and speaking into. He, they're called the sons of the prophets. They weren't his physical sons, but they were like spiritual, some people that he had influenced. And he's going back, knowing that his time is, is close, he's going back to a couple of these different places and he's saying goodbye to them saying farewell. That, that's kind of, he's on his farewell tour. But before they left, verse 2 says this, Elijah said to Elisha, the older man said to the younger man, please stay here for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So Elijah said, stay here, but Elisha vowed that he would not leave him. Now, there, there's, there's some head-scratching moments in this, and, and I think this is in this text, and this is one of them. We don't know exactly why Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. We don't know exactly why. The Bible doesn't say. Some have said, well, just looking at his life some Bible scholars, a few of them have said, well, Elijah was a, uh, a person who liked his solitude, a person who was, who was kind of like the wilderness. So he just wanted to be alone, so that's why he said it. Other Bible scholars, and I tend to agree with this other group, other Bible scholars believe that he was putting Elisha to a test. Like, how, how much do you want this? Here's what I'd like you to do, but at the same time, hoping that he will do exactly what he did. And he did. Elisha, I believe, having been given this test, says, no, as the Lord lives and as I live, I will not leave you. The end of verse 2 says this, so they went down to Bethel, both of them together going to this place called Bethel. And this is important. This is and you'll see this here in a moment. This is important. It was about eight miles from Gilgal to Bethel. All right? Eight miles from Gilgal to, to Bethel, walking eight miles. Verse 3. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha. This is a probably after Elijah had shared what was going to happen. The sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And Elisha said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Again, why, 
Why did they say this? Well, again, we assume that Elijah had shared with them. They come out and said, did you hear what's happening today? He's going to be taken from you. And Elisha puts them off a bit and says, I know it. Be quiet. I'm aware. Verse 4, Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here. Bethel, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So it's like a second test, another opportunity for Elisha to say no and for Elisha to say, I'm going to stop, for Elisha to just go ahead and remain there in this, in this place. But Elisha, you see it here on the screen in your, in your hands in front of you, Elisha, uh, he, he continues to commit himself to this, the same answer. <coughs> As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And the end of verse 4 says this. So they came to Jericho. And the distance from Jericho or from Bethel to Jericho, it's about 12 miles. If you're doing the math, how many, how many help me out, how many miles have we gone? Yeah, you're good. You're a sharp group. All right. Eight miles and then 12 miles. And then verse 5, the sons of the prophets who were now at Jericho, they drew near to Elisha and they said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And Elisha answered, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. We're starting to see a pattern here, aren't we? Verse 6, then Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan, the Jordan River. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. This is the third time. This is the third opportunity he had, Elisha had, to stop. But Elisha, I mean, it's like this guy is determined. He, he, he's been given the opportunity three times now, but he is not giving in. He is determined, and he said, I will not leave you. Wouldn't you like to <coughs> see that or hear the recording? I think it was more adamant, the third, I will not leave you. That's how I imagine it anyway. I will not leave you. In the end of verse 6, so the two of them walked on. In other words, they arrived at the Jordan River. Distance from Jericho to the Jordan River, six miles. Total distance traveled to this point. From Gilgal to Bethel, Bethel to Jericho, Jericho to the Jordan River, about 26 miles. I don't think it's, I, I, don't, I don't think that there's a, a connection necessarily, but I just thought, you know, that's like a marathon, right? And a marathon's a little bit more than 26 miles. It's, it's like they've gone, they didn't run it. They, well, Elijah could have, because at one point he was the fastest man alive. <laughs> That's another story, right, previous. But, but they weren't running it. This was not a marathon that they were, that would, in fact, that ma the whole marathon thing would actually be years later when that whole thing originated. But, but, uh, but they've gone these 26 miles, and it was, that's a distance. That's a distance by anybody's standard. But, but it was doable in that day when very doable for people who walked all the time. And quite a trek that one day. Yet here's the thing. 
at each place during those during, those, during that journey that day, at each place, Elijah gave the opportunity for Elisha to remain behind. And each time, <coughs> excuse me, each time, Elisha chose to continue the journey. Each time, he had the opportunity to stop. Each time, he had a way out. Each time, I, I don't know that anyone would have faulted him had he stopped because he had been with him for 10 years. He'd proven his reliability. He had proven his faithfulness. And, and I doubt that anyone, especially after being asked three times to remain behind, if anyone would have faulted him, but he kept going. And here's the point that I want to make. Everything remarkable that followed in Elisha's life, and, th- and there would be so many things that would follow in Elisha's life, and we'll see that. But everything remarkable that followed in Elisha's life happened because he continued on that journey. That's that's very important. This this, this biblical account, (coughs) every word of it true, the things that are recorded about Elisha that you will read and that we will see some of these in coming weeks, Lord willing, the things that happened in Elisha's life after that point, all happened in large part because he kept going, because he didn't stop. Everything remarkable that followed in this man's life happened because he continued on the journey. You know, I, I look at this and I, and I think of the, the amazing things that, that, that did happen that may not have happened had he stopped. You can read on this week. Maybe you know the stories already, but the lives that were changed in part ahead of him, the lives that were changed in part because he remained on the journey. The families that were spared in large part because Elisha continued on the journey. The people who were directed back to the worship of God the people who burned and destroyed and knocked down their false gods and began to worship the one true God, it happened in part because this man continued on the journey. You see, continuing on the journey is really important. When God calls you to something, when God calls you to follow him, continuing on the journey is really, really important because of what will follow. Not just eternal life, thank God for that, but because of what will happen in the months and years following in our own lives. When I, when I, when I read of this, I was reminded of another text. Another text much later, um, years later in fact, recorded in, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. It says in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus was walking and his disciples were walking with him. Matthew 5, by the way, begins with what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it was an occasion where Jesus, and it continues on, it starts in Matthew chapter 5, goes to chapter 6, and into chapter 7. And the Sermon on the Mount contains some of the most powerful teachings that Jesus gave in his earthly ministry. I mean, it's like, it's like condensed. There's so much there. You could, seriously, you could spend years just studying the Sermon on the Mount, powerful truths. Began in, in Matthew chapter 5, but 
Jesus on this mountain. One translation begins chapter 5 this way. When Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, when Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. <coughs> Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him, and then arriving at a quiet place, <coughs> down, and he taught his climbing companions. Read that again. But I want you to picture it in your mind. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. That's what we call the Sermon on the Mount, on the mountain. Those who were apprenticed to him, that would be his disciples. The committed climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and he taught his climbing companions. And you think, well, what does this text have to do with that one back in 2 Kings chapter 2? And that is, Jesus' disciples, because they climbed with him, because they walked with him, because they traveled with him, because they committed themselves to him, they were among the first to hear this incomparable set of teachings that we call the Sermon on the Mount. They were there. Jesus taught his climbing companions. And I remember reading that in this translation the first time, and I was thinking, you know what? That is absolutely powerful. God, make me your traveling companion. I want to be like those guys who climb the mountain with you, though you know what? Climbing mountains can be challenging. Climbing mountains are hard. But here's the thing. When you climb a mountain, you see things you never saw before. A number of years ago, <coughs> we were out in the Black Hills. I grew up near the Black Hills. And one of the great, uh, one of the great points there is, was something called Harney Peak. I think it's called uh, Black Elk Peak now. But we knew it as, as Harney Peak growing up. And, and I told our kids, I said, we, we want to climb, uh, climb Harney Peak. This is about 10 years ago. <coughs> And our kids were small, and we, we went up there. And it's about uh, probably uh, Nathan Anderson, his parents live real near there. And uh, you go to a place called Sylvan Lake, you park, and then it's probably about a three and a half, maybe four mile walk up to the top, much of it uphill, of course, because it's a mountain. It's the highest point. Harney Peak is the, is the hi highest peak uh, from the Rocky Mountains to, the, to a set of mountains in, in Europe. It's, high, it's higher than anything in Appalachia, right here in South Dakota. And we, got, and we went to this mountain, and we walked to the top. And I may have shared this story with you before. It's vaguely familiar, perhaps, to some of you. But my daughter, who was maybe uh, 10 years and 8, eight and 10 years, 12 years old, something like that, she didn't like climbing very much, and she latched onto my belt, and I towed her to the top of Harney Peak. She was talking, I was overheard a conversation. She says, you know what, I hiked Harney Peak. And I, and I said, no, you didn't. I told you to the top of Harney Peak. It's a hard trek. And whatever you go up, you have to come back, right? But I tell, I tell you, if you ever try, it's worth it. You know why? Because you see some amazing things from the top of a mountain. And, and, and climbing mountains is hard. Going on a long journey, it's hard. Following someone who expects a lot, it's hard. But I'll tell you what, it's worth it when you get there. And following Jesus is sometimes challenging. No, let me rephrase that. Following Jesus, oh, it ha it's always challenging in some ways. And, and, and it costs something. But I'll tell you what, it's worth it. It's worth it, not, not simply because he's leading us to eternal life, but it's worth it because along the journey, we're going to see some things in following Jesus that you will never see if you don't follow him. 
And I've known too many people. Some of you have as well. Maybe for a time you were this person. You're following him and then you, something comes along and you realize that, man, this is harder than I thought. This is more uphill than I realized. This is difficult. Following Jesus is strenuous. Maybe you were tempted. Maybe you gave into it to quit. I'm not going to do it anymore. The price is too high. Or doing his will or doing what he called me to do as his fellow climber. It's too hard. I don't know if I want to do it anymore. And you pause. You stop. Sometimes you turn around. You walk the other way. Well, I got news for you. It's worth it following Jesus. Some of you have been following Jesus for maybe just a few weeks or a few months or maybe a few years. Well, I've been following him a long time, and let me tell you, I've seen some amazing things that I would not have seen had I not kept following him. So keep following him. There are some victories ahead. There are some vantage points that you're going to see. There are some some, uh, powerful encounters. There are some miracles that are ahead of you, but they're only going to happen, you're only going to see them if you keep following him, if you stay on the journey. <laughs> Elisha, oh, the things that he's going to see. We, we've got the account. He didn't. But I'm sitting here thinking, way to go, Elisha. Way, way to go. Thanks for not stopping because you're going to see some amazing things. And he did. He did. Oh, Elijah must have been so pleased. Everything remarkable that will follow in your life will happen as you follow Christ. Keep following him. By the way, some of you may not have started the journey yet. You're going to have the opportunity to today to start the journey. You say, wow, I I want to experience some great things of God. You're talking about God. I want to experience more of him I want to experience some things that I I couldn't. Yeah, today you can start the journey. Back to 2 Kings chapter 2. Verse 7 reads this way. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they were both standing by the Jordan. So picture this in your mind. They were, were, you know, at at, at Jericho, and now, now they've gone on. To, to, uh, to the Jordan River and this group of 50 have, have walked with them or have followed along, but, but they stood some distance. And, and now Elijah and Elisha are just moving on a little bit further. Verse 8 reads, then Elijah took his cloak. And by the way, the cloak, uh, if you were here a couple of weeks ago when, when God pointed Elisha out and it says that Elijah took his cloak and put it on Elisha's shoulders signifying that this is his successor. It's the same cloak. Elijah, it says, took his cloak, he rolled it up, and he struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and the two of them walked or crossed over the Jordan River on dry ground. Perhaps you thought, if you're familiar with the uh, the Exodus account of the parting of the Red Sea right at the very beginning of the Exodus, right, at the, right after they're delivered out of Egypt. It was actually the point of their, in many ways, the point of their deliverance. Um, 
If you thought that was the only time that God did that, you're wrong. The Bible actually records it four times. When they were delivered from Egypt, God parted the the Red Sea and they crossed over. About 40 years later, at the end of the Exodus, as they were going around around the Sinai Peninsula, as they crossed into the Promised Land, across the Jordan River, God parted the waters again. And now, about 700, 650 years later, uh, here it is again. So the things that had happened before, can you imagine? I'm I'm thinking, here's Elisha saying, I'm glad I didn't stop in Jericho. I'm glad I didn't stop Bethel. I'm glad we didn't stay at Gilgal. I'm glad I'm here because I'm seeing something that we've all heard about a long time ago. But look what God is doing again. You, you do realize that these things are recorded not as a matter of history. They are recorded for our benefit so that when we read this, we say, God, do it again. God, do it again. And he can and he does. Verse 9, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask whatever I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. What does he mean by that? Uh, what, What God has done in you may twice as much happen in me. Why would he say that? Uh, remember, this younger man had observed, this younger man of God had observed the older man of God for about 10 years. After his calling, after that field experience where Elisha is plowing with oxen and that plow that he would later slaughter and burn. In the 10 years that followed that event, Elisha was a nobody. The only thing it says about him in that 10-year, roughly 10-year period of time is that he served Elijah. I point that out again because this is not a prideful, arrogant man saying, I want twice as much as what, what you had. Had he been prideful, he would have stopped following Elijah long before. He wouldn't have gone the journey. Had it been all about him, he would have taken off long before. Because for for 10 years, you know what he did? Uh, Elijah, would you like a drink of water? Elijah, can I, can I, can I uh, start a fire? Elijah, can I, can I help you with something? Uh, Elijah, maybe, maybe, we don't know, just as he served him, maybe he said this, is there something I can pray about? But for 10 years he observed, and he saw what God could do. He saw the power of Jehovah God. He saw God work these miracles, spare people's lives, bring judgment on others. He knew what God could do in the world. He knew that God was powerful. 
Elisha wanted God, God's power in greater ways because he saw what God's power could do in the world. And he said, whatever God is doing in you, I want him to do it twice in me. Not because it was all about him, but because he saw the needs of the world around him. Verse 10. Eli There's a lot of verses here today. Elijah said, you've asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. Now, now you see, that, you see that, that text there. And I want you to notice two times it occurs the word if. If. It's a very important word. It means it's conditional. If you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. If. If you watch me, it's, it's like this, this is the one more test. If you see me when I'm taken from you, it will happen. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so for you. Again, it's another test. It's like the last test. It's the last time. <laughs> I would love to see this. They're walking together. Here's what I think. I think, you know, Elijah's here, Elisha's here, and Elisha's watching him the whole time. He takes his eye off. I think that's what he did. We don't know how much longer they walked, but Elisha is watching Elijah. It was conditional. Let me, let me say this <clears throat> in regards to you and I. You look at many of the promises in the Bible. This would be an interesting word study. See the number of times the word if is used in the promises of God. That there's conditions. You want God's blessing? If you do this, he will bless you. You want God's power? If you do this, you will experience God's power. You will get more of him if you draw closer to him. You know, sometimes we're like, I, I, I'm, I'm speaking of self here, in, I'm including me in this. Sometimes we're like spoiled children. Well, here I am, God. Just give it to me. God says, well, if you do this, or if you do not do that, I will do this for you. You want God's blessing? I'm just going to say, you want God's blessing? Then there may be some things that God says in his word you shouldn't do anymore. And if you, if you do not do them, God will bless you. There are certain things in the Bible that says, if you do this, he will bless you. And if you do them, he will bless you. It's conditional. Why isn't this happening? Well, maybe it's because we blew the, blew the if. Verse 11. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Wouldn't that be something to see? I mean, he's watching it, and he's, 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 he's remember, he's, he's got his eyes fixed on Elisha, on Elijah, and uh, it must have been something to see. I'll tell you what, this is one of those dramatic moments. This is like, in, I, I first heard this story or heard about this story my mama probably told me this story when I was, because I remember we had a Bible picture book, and there it is, this whirlwind and a chariot of fire. Remember that movie about 38, 40 years ago, Chariots of Fire? 
That's where we get this term. <laughs> I've, I've watched the movie. It had, the movie has absolutely nothing to do with this. But that's where we get the title. It's a chariot of fire, and he was caught up in a whirlwind. Elisha, it says, saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw him no more. Look at that again. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, and then he saw him no more. He saw it. He saw it happen. Then he took. It says, Elisha took hold of his own clothes, and he tore them in two pieces. Whenever you see that happening, it's not because he's angry. It's, it's a sign of humility. It's a sign of sorrow, grief. He's sad to see his friend go. He's been with him for 10 years. Can you imagine how close you'd be in 10 years? Of course you can. So there's some sorrow. There's some excitement. He saw it happen. But there's also great humility. This is not an arrogant man. Verse 13 and 14. And Elisha, Imagine this as I read it. Elisha took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and he struck the water. Now, he struck this second time in just a short time. He struck the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other and Elisha went over. I like this. It's, I, I see it. I see it in, in vivid color in my mind. He sees this. The only thing that he sees is this mantle, this cloak. He picks it up. He goes back. He's witnessed this, right? We do what we see. The one generation that follows does what the previous generation did. And he saw how God had done an amazing work in and through the generation before him. But this is a new generation. And this next generation says, he grabs this thing. He says, where is the God of Elijah? And he hits the water. And what had happened with Elijah now happens with Elisha. I don't know. Someday I want to ask him, Elisha, what happened in your head when that happened? I'd like to know. But I think, the Bible doesn't say so, I think when he saw that water part and he saw the power of God, this is his first miracle that God has allowed him to do. For 10 years, for 10 years, can I help you? For 10 years, he said, God, I don't know why you called. I don't know why I burned the plow. I don't know why I slaughtered the, I don't know, I don't have all the answers, but I know this, that you called me. So here, can I help you? But when he took up that mantle and he slapped the water, that water parted, Thou. He saw that what God did then, God can still do now. Some of you are, 
You're enamored by stories of how God has used others. You tell and retell and retell stories <coughs> of what God did in a previous generation. What God maybe did in your mom or your dad or someone else. And I'm saying, God, do it again in this generation. God, do it again in your generation. God, help you to trust him like previous generations did. I thank God for the past. I thank God for miracles of the past. I thank God for the way that he used people in the past. We need to be people that say, God, what you did then, do now and do again. If I follow you and if in faith I pick up the cloak that perhaps someone else has laid down, if I do that, then I trust that the power is not in that person, but the power is in Jehovah God. Will you follow him faithfully? And will you pick up and carry what the previous generation used of God has laid down? You don't look to the left or the right and you don't look back. But you look up and you say, God, use me. Stand with me. Musicians, would you come? Everyone, if you can, stand. There's a praise anthem. that we sang earlier includes these words. As we pray, the will of God and man align. That's the truth. When we pray. And we also prayed these, or we sang and prayed these words. Let heaven's gates be open. Let words of life be spoken. Not ours, but your will be sang it earlier near the beginning of this service we're going to sing it as we close this service in a moment when we begin singing this if you want to be used by God in ways like you've heard others used of God elsewhere or in previous generations, then I want you to step forward. I want you to move. I, I really do. Well, there may not be room up here. I may not be able to make it all the way down all the way. But, but then fine, just but move to another pew. And, and, and here's what I'd like you to do. Now, I want you to, in your mind, picture a cloak. I'm not into the imagination thing and visualizing. I just bear with me. 
want you to say, Lord, there's a cloak that's laying down there. I want to be the person to pick it up. I don't know what that means. And I don't know how you're going to use me. But I know this. I've traveled the journey. I'm not, I'm not here by mistake. But I've come this far. And I want God, I want you to do greater things in me and through me, going ahead than, than even behind. By the way, one more thing, and we'll see this. The miracles recorded in Scripture that Elijah performed, Elisha, this guy, number two, Elisha, it's recorded exactly twice as many more miracles. God answered his prayer. And it happened, why? Because he traveled the journey and picked up the cloak. I want you to be that person. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna begin singing. Um, we're not going to, I'm going to pray here in a moment, and I won't pray anymore. You come, if you need to go, go. If you have another obligation, go. That's fine. And God bless you when you do go. But I want to turn this place into a place of prayer. I'm also going to stand right down here. And if there is someone that has not yet begun that journey, then immediately I want you to come up here and I want to pray with you to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I promise you that you will begin the greatest journey of your existence. And today is your day. Right? So I'm going to be right here. Others are going to are going to come up and pray. You ready? Let's let's pray. Lord Jesus, now as we close this service, this part of the service, but we begin another part of the service, a time of prayer around these altars and throughout this, this sanctuary, Lord. I ask your favor upon us. Thank you for speaking to people by your Holy Spirit far more than this servant ever could. I thank you for speaking to us. We give ourselves to you. Help us to follow you and help us, Lord, Help us to, in faith, pick up the mantle, pick up the cloak to do greater things ahead than things that have even been done in the past. It's because our faith is not in ourselves or in those persons or in the cloak. Our faith is in you, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things and we thank you. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing. Come as we sing, as we pray.
my soul to rise to you.